Well, folks, it's official. President Biden has said the pandemic is over. Now, he said this on a 60 Minutes interview, and there was swift criticism, including a protest outside the White House where people who are suffering from what's called long COVID basically said the president was not only mistaken, but was endangering lives by saying the pandemic is over. He walked back the statements at a fundraiser saying that the pandemic's not over, but we're not where we were. And I think we can all agree that he's right about that. We are not where we were. And if you've been on UT's campus, then you know it's looking basically like it did in fall of 2019. But especially for people who are leaders on campus and for students who lead organizations, we're not back to where we were. And maybe no one knows this better than Jordan Brown, our current student body president, who ran unopposed for her position. There was record low turnout for the SGA election in the spring. Uh, campaigning wasn't back to normal, but Jordan says that perhaps that was intentional on her part. She didn't want campaign to look like what it looked like before the pandemic. And we all in our own ways are having to rebuild and figure out what life is gonna look like now. So I got to sit down with Jordan and talk through what her vision for SGA is, what it looks like to actually rebuild from the pandemic, and how to get students engaged again. I'm Daniel Dasso, Editor-in-Chief of The Daily Beacon, and this is The Beacon Interview. Hello, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming to the Beacon office. Of uh, course. Thanks for having in, me. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> here in the basement of the communications building. Um, we call it the basement because there's barely any windows, but it's not a, literally a basement. There is one window. Um, but um, so thank you for coming. I know that you're uh, very busy with your job. Give us an idea of your schedule. Like, How busy are you as the student body president? I would definitely say with this job, there's not a like an ideal day where it all looks the same. Like if my schedule every mm -hmm. week is always very different, you know, just depending on what's going on on campus. I mean, this week has, of course, been very exciting. Last week was very exciting. Like last week with it being fall family weekend, of course, we had a Slap the Rock event. But then also I serve as a member of the alumni board. And mm -hmm. so there were alumni board meetings. There was, of course, an alumni gala. And then there was also like an alumni induction dinner. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say this job definitely keeps me on my toes because there is not a week that is always the same. There's always yeah. different things. Hmm. Yeah, student body president is one of those jobs I've always kind of wondered about because uh, I was an SGA for a year. We actually mm -hmm. ran on the same campaign. We were. But everything was on Zoom. It was. So, um, we had to do all of our campaigning like online. Right, we do didn't get that interaction. Yeah, yes. do you remember campaigning online? I definitely do. I remember a lot of mass text messages, a lot of reposting on social media, very disconnected. Mm -hmm. But oh, I definitely remember it. That was my first time on a campaign, so I definitely won't forget it. Yeah, and we were all from home. Yes, which, we were all at the house. Yeah, and where is home for you? I'm from Memphis, so about five, six hours away. Okay, so we were all just like in our bedrooms during the pandemic, mm -hmm. messaging people, asking them to vote for us. Mm -hmm. And there was like historically low voter turnout. Yep. Uh, because of course, no one was in person. Right. Um, but I remember getting a lot of angry text messages from people that were like, please stop messaging this group chat. <laughs> and it's just like, or I saw people saying like, the only good thing about COVID is that the SGA campaigns aren't like 
on ped like right. asking you to vote for them. Mm -hmm. Does that make you kind of sad to hear people like say things about SGA like that? Like, oh, I'm glad like they aren't here in person, mm -hmm. you know, yada, yada. Or like, please stop messaging us. No one cares. Right. That kind of attitude. I would actually say no because, and that's probably a weird answer, but of course we were coming into SGA around the same time, mm -hmm. and so when I heard that and I was learning about what campaigning was like and, you know, what it used to be like was, yes, people were yelling at you on PED, like they had the microphones, like the big bullhorns, yeah. like, you know, just throwing out food, like encouraging you to vote and I mean that's what the climate was for SGA elections before the pandemic so no those responses didn't surprise me and I think that they played a lot in like my envisioning for SGA when it came to my junior you know my mm -hmm. junior year and I was like oh well what am I gonna do am I gonna run or am I just gonna step away it played a lot into it because I was like okay well if I do run I'm gonna make sure that it's not like that and that a lot of students don't have to feel like they have to tell me, please go away, like you're bothering me. Because that's not the atmosphere that I want to create. So I would yeah. definitely say it actually was more of like a, um, probably a, a little spark about what I wanted SGA to be and what mm -hmm. I wanted it to look like. So no, I won't say that I was, it bothered me. It was like, a, okay, I know what needs to be done now. Yeah. Hmm. I just think about, I, I think the pandemic changed so much of how students organizations operate right and also like it's fine to talk about like this is how we did things before mm -hmm. we're gonna do things differently now right and like there's a great reset button yeah mm -hmm. so it's like pre-pandemic like people were f people might have been annoyed but it worked well to have all the campaigns out on ped mm -hmm. but now that's just not how it operates mm -hmm. for me it's a little sad because it feels like the energy has just been drained right from a lot of activities have you seen that in SGA I would definitely say that, I mean, just being completely honest, we saw the voter turnout in the last election. I mean, it's unheard of that in a campus this size, you have one person run to be student body president. That's mm -hmm. unheard of. So I would definitely say, of course, my team and I, we noticed that lack of engagement. And of course, we can't blame everything on the pandemic. But the pandemic did play a big role in the fact of like, yes, a lot of student organizations, including SGA, even though we're so big, mm -hmm. yes, there was a lot of disengagement, a lot of students who were there, but, you know, just weren't in the place to give that same energy because we were going through a nationwide, worldwide pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say like, yes, I saw the energy, I noticed it, and then it's been that's why it's been so nice to see what it looks like being on campus now, because hopefully I don't think we'll have that problem again. Just being on campus, seeing all the energy around football games, seeing how many students we have on PED, how many students even just email me about things about issues on campus and things that they want to change. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yes, in the past that was like very disappointing, but, and it's been something that of course, like we need to work towards doing better, but I really am excited about what we're we're looking at this fall and I think it's gonna make great things for the rest of the year mm. yeah so you feel like the energy that you're seeing among students now it kind of is like the pre-pandemic energy I guess I can't fully say it's like pre-pandemic energy because we had one semester basically oh, yeah. of pre-pandemic energy but I guess if I was to imagine what campus looked like in the glimpse that I saw my freshman year, I definitely think it's getting back that way. Seeing all the people on PED, all the students in the Center for Student Engagement, mm -hmm. where the SGA office is, I definitely see the beginning of that spark 
of people wanting to get more involved. People just are more passionate and willing to actually, you know, change things on campus. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, have you seen that work through? I know Senate is kind of the body of SGA that works to kind of change things on campus right. through their legislation. Uh, how, what have you seen Senate be like this year? Well, first I would say it's nice to see a full Senate body in person. I mean, mm. last year it was in person, but we were still, you know, a few senators short from having a full body. But this year there's a full body of senators. They've, of course, already started the Senate sessions. I can already tell even the ones who weren't on our campaign and people who just, you know, say, like, I'm interested in joining Senate, like, filled out the application, mm -hmm. went through the interview, and then just joined in that way. I can see the energy in them and the passion because I've already had students on Senate reach out to me like, oh, I want to change this. Who do I reach out to? Oh, I know that you were a senator. Oh, I mm -hmm. know that you were the parliamentarian. How do I do this? So it's like I see that energy and like they're like, okay, we had this gap of the pandemic where nothing, where not much got done. But now, okay, we're here. We're back mostly in person. These are things that I want to change and these are things that I feel like that I could make an impact on. And mm -hmm. they're ready to go get it and do it. And that's something that I love about being a senator. And I feel like I missed it in my Senate experience because of everything with the pandemic. So mm -hmm. being able, being actually able to see those senators now, and they're like, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix this, even if no one else thinks I can fix it. Yeah. And they're ready to keep going and pushing forward to it. Yeah, just it makes me, I'm happy to hear you say it. It makes me think of our days in the Senate mm -hmm. where we were just on Zoom. Yep. And the temptation to just sit there and like do homework while right. you're on Zoom, mm -hmm. or like I had just discovered this game GeoGuessr. <laughs> it like drops you in the middle of nowhere, somewhere around the world, and you have to look around and see if you can tell where you are. Wow! So that's what sometimes I was doing during those Senate meetings. I'll confess, we're we're two years out from that, so I can say that now. Right. Um, but when you so. What kind of made you decide, like, I'm going to run for student body president? Because it's a huge lift to mm -hmm. do that whole election season. I mean, not even just to be the student body president, but mm -hmm. to get to be student body president is right. a big effort. So mm -hmm. what, what was that final thing that made you say, like, I'm actually going to do this? When it comes to the final thing, because, of course, there are so many conversations and dialogue and meetings that, of course, led up to that. And I would say that at first I was very hesitant. I feel like when it comes like a position like this, and I'm sure you can understand, like you have a lot of moments where you're like, oh, am I the right person for this job? Mm -hmm. Oh, can I actually do this job? And I feel like that when it came to that final meeting and that final moment when I was like, yes, I'm going to do this, I would definitely say it was probably due a lot to my support system and my friends and just my family too because I feel like that during the whole process I was the one holding myself back. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, of course I have my SGA experience, but you know, I don't feel like I fit the mold of the typical student body president. I don't think that's me. Maybe someone else could do this job. What did better. you feel like you were missing? I would definitely say that uh, that extrovertedness, I'm sure that's not a word, but that that like that go get it mm -hmm. energy where it's like, okay, you know, not that you're screaming at people at PED, but it's like, you know, you have that energy to scream at people on PED. <laughs> I would definitely say that I'm a lot more 
introverted and reserved in my nature. When it comes to getting work done as a senator, I was the one who I would research my bills, I would write them, okay, I would present them because I had to, but the research and the behind the scene work was mm. my thing. So of course when it came to thinking about being student body president, I was like, okay, I feel like I have this idea in my head about what a student body president looks like. Of course, Claire Donlin, Carmen Jones, Natalie Campbell, all amazing women, all do diff all have different ways of being a leader. And I just feel like that I couldn't relate to how mm. they are. I just couldn't relate. So I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. But when we had that final conversation, and of course that gauntlet was there, and you know, just on the ground, and I'm like, okay, I've been involved in SGA for so long, and I don't think I would be comfortable just sitting back and watching what happens. I mean, we were coming up on this turning point, you know, mm -hmm. with everything with the pandemic, and so of course my support system was around me, and they were like, okay, what's holding you back? And okay, maybe that I don't have the typical leadership skills that most people associate with being mm -hmm. student body president. Okay, that's not a good excuse. If you're going to do the job and you're going to do it the best way that you can and you have that passion and energy for students, anybody can be student body president. And that shouldn't be what holds you back. So I think when it finally came to that final moment, like, yes, I'm going to do this, it was mm -hmm. a mixture of kind of getting over that hurdle for myself but then also having a support system around me that was like, yes, you can do this job and we're gonna be there to support you. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I think it was a similar process for me where I mm -hmm. thought like, well, I was good at this one thing, right. which was writing. Mm -hmm. And there's so many jobs where if you're good at the thing you start out doing, so for you it was like writing that legislation, getting involved kind of behind the scenes, mm -hmm. then people are like, oh, you'd be great at this other job. Right. That's a totally different skill set. Mm -hmm. um, and so it can be kind of nerve-wracking to get into the job and be like, I don't know if this these are actually the skills that I have. Right. Uh, since becoming student body president, have you felt like you actually are the right person for this job or have you had moments where you're like you know what I do have the skills that it takes to do this job well I would definitely say and it's taken a lot of growth on my part I would definitely say that in my moments of reflection between of course like my classes and my meetings I definitely have gotten to the point where I was like you know I'm here I'm doing it and I do think I've become a lot more comfortable with the fact of like Yes, like this is my job and I have the skills to do it. I think at that point, it now gets to that's what motivates me to keep going. Mm -hmm. The fact of like, okay, I thought at first this wasn't for me and I thought at first that I couldn't do this, but then okay, I took that leap. And that leap, I feel like has paid off for me and for mm -hmm. SGA in so many different ways that of course I still have those moments of doubt when it comes to, okay, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna do that? But at the end of the day, I feel really comfortable about the fact that like this is my job and I enjoy it and I'm ready to take on all the hard things that are mm -hmm. gonna come with it because I know the journey that it took for me and of course the other members of my team to get here. And that journey, I can't just let it go just because I'm like, oh, I might have a moment of self-doubt. There were too mm. many steps and meetings and long days to get here that my team and I had that I don't think anything could stop me from doing this job now. Because I owe it to myself, but I also owe it to them. That's so true. You have a team of people mm -hmm. with you. So it's in a way, it's kind of self-centered to be like, 
am I the right person for the right. job? Because it's like other people think you are, and actually they're counting on you doing this. Mm-hmm. So you better just go out and do it. Mm-hmm. There is a certain peppiness that some SGA people have. Right. You, we've talked about like <laughs> screaming at people on ped. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that like an era of SGA that you feel like is in the past, and now SGA is going to be kind of a... Well, let me put it this way. I think SGA mm-hmm. has this reputation, um, as any student organization does, but maybe SGA in particular, of people, peppy people, mm-hmm. just kind of doing it because it's a resume booster. Mm-hmm. It'll give them something to talk about. When I was in Senate, I mean, when we were in Senate, right. I think probably 15 or 20% of senators wrote a bill. Mm-hmm. I mean, the rest were just kind of there to vote. Right. When they showed up to vote. Of course. So there was kind of that idea that like, okay, SGA, yes, they on the outside they have all the pep and they're getting things done and they're the resume builders, but like what are they actually accomplishing? Right. Is that a reputation that you have seen at SGA? Is that something that you're kind of trying to counteract? I mean, I would definitely say, of course, during our time as senators, I definitely saw that. I remember the moments where I would talk to some of my friends after the Senate session, and they'd be like, yeah, I was actually out uh, hanging out with my friends while it was going on. I just had it planned. So I feel like that was one that was one drawback of the whole being virtual type of thing. Mm-hmm. I guess when it comes to answering the first part of your question, when it comes to assuming everyone at SJ is like peppy, go-getter, I mean, I definitely felt that way at the beginning when I first joined SGA, but honestly, that's really not the case. I feel like that you actually start meeting more people, because I would say, of course, you were involved in SGA. Do you feel like that you were just very peppy and out there? No. Okay. And I felt weird, like, reaching out to people, asking them to vote for me for the campaign. Mm Mm-hmm. No, I felt the same way, too. I... I wasn't comfortable reaching out to people when it came to getting our signatures for this campaign. I was like, okay, I'm a little nervous about just interrupting someone's day to have them sign so I can have their signature. Mm -hmm. So I think that, of course, I've realized that SGA isn't like that. Of course, that's the perception that's given off, but I know that there are, of course, there are those peppy people in there, and of course, everybody is different. There are people who get so excited about SGA, they love doing everything, and they have that energy. Mm-hmm. Then on the flip side, there are some people who are more like me, some people more like you, who are probably like, you know, those down in the weeds, get work done, and you know, I can go out and have a conversation with somebody about something I'm passionate in, but I'm not going to force any type of peppiness in that conversation. Mm-hmm. That's how I am, and I know that that's a, a good amount of people in SGA. That's how they are as well. So I feel like that's something that, of course, is a perception that, you know, we try to get over, the fact of like, there's only one person who fits what it looks like to be in SGA. And I feel like that that is a struggle that many organizations have and that, you know, we'll continue to have. But I think that we're definitely taking the right steps now to show that SGA is for anybody. You don't have to be an SGA to have some type of connection to SGA because it shouldn't be about one group of people. It's about the entire campus. Right. I remember seeing that quality, that kind of let's get to work, let's actually get things done, let's be a voice for people on campus. I felt like I saw that in Carmen Mm -hmm. Jones. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the reason I wanted to join her campaign. Right. Is because I was drawn to her and I respected her leadership a lot. Mm-hmm. 
who are how have these other SJ leaders and maybe in particular the student body presence kind of shaped you? You've mm -hmm. worked with a lot of them. Right. How have they influenced you or what did you kind of learn from their leadership? Wow, that is a very good question. It's just, I honestly cannot put into words just how amazing those women were and are and the impact that they had on me because when it came to me actually embarking on this journey and starting wanting to become student body president, there was just a support system around me after, you know, it was one and done, votes had been counted, just a support system that I, I don't know I've seen it anywhere else. It was the fact of like Carmen, even though she's graduated, Natalie Campbell, even though she's graduated, Morgan Hardgrove, who was even way before mm -hmm. then, of course graduated and is now in law school. They all, and along with Claire Donlin, of course they all came together and was like reaching out to me. Like they sent supportive text messages. They, they uh, set up a Zoom call for me to just set up conversation and talk to them about mm -hmm. you know what I was nervous about and their experience. So just, they all had this so supportive and welcoming atmosphere that really helped me a lot when I was struggling with what it meant to do this job and what it would look like for me. And then outside of that, I mean, they all are leaders in very different ways and I feel like I pulled a lot from all of them. Of course, knowing Carmen and of course being on her campaign my freshman year, her determination to get things done, the fact that like she didn't let anything stop her from her passion in supporting students. Mm -hmm. Like that's something I saw and I visualized, especially as another black woman. Like seeing that, of course, is just inspiring. Claire took a different approach to SGA and she taught me that of course SGA doesn't have to be so rigid. It doesn't have to all be work and no play. It can be some more fun events. So when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for SGA, fun events was of course what we talked about. And so of course mm -hmm. actually doing more things to engage students. So of course with them being I guess my immediate predecessors, I immediately looked to them and kind of looked at their years and their leadership and seeing what SGA had done in the past and like how I could bring that in to my year but then also bring in a new fresh energy and new fresh perspective and what SGA could look like because we're in a different time now mm -hmm. we're in this weird middle slash post pandemic time where of course my year and my experience won't be the same as theirs but there are still valuable things I can pull from it. Right. What does your family say about you being student, student body <laughs> president? Are they, when you go home, are they like, oh, it's Mrs. President? Like, what, <laughs> how have they reacted to that? Well, I'm, at the beginning, at the beginning when I first talked about the fact, they were like, really? Because they know how I am. I'm the introvert. I'm the small group of friends. I'm the, you know, I go mm -hmm. out sometimes, but most of the time I'm inside my house. So they were like, okay, this is going to be a big jump. Like, you know, what can we do to help? My parents are very supportive. So, at the, so of course, at the beginning during the campaign, they were very supportive. Now, of course, they also knew I was running unopposed. So they were still very supportive and still acting like there were 500 other people who were running. <laughs> but then I guess once it was actually, when I actually won, like we did the transition ceremony and like it was official, like this was my job. Oh, they do the whole shebang. My dad likes to post about it on Facebook. So all of his friends and all of, of course, my older family members constantly text and ask me, oh, how are you doing, Miss President? Like, how's everything going? 
And so, you know, so they were very supportive and definitely like to make jokes about it. Of course, I'm also the type of person who talks to my parents very often. We talk all the time. So then if I maybe miss a phone call or I miss a conversation, my dad comes in and he's like, oh, so now that you're Miss Big President, you can't call us little people back. So, you know, so they definitely have that energy. And mm -hmm. honestly, the job, there's a lot of things that come with this job, but I honestly do not think I could have done it without their support and the support of like the other people around me and the other people on my team my friends, my mentors on campus, they all do the whole hello Miss President spiel even though they knew me before I mm -hmm. was president. But just the energy that they bring to me being in this position, it makes it all worthwhile. And it makes me feel like, okay, yes, like if I have a long day, I know that just seeing somebody who calls me Miss President and they're excited to see me mm -hmm. and excited to see the work that I'm going to do and I'm currently doing, it makes it all worth it. What's one responsibility or job that you have that would surprise people? One thing that you have to do as student body president? Hmm. I don't know if it'll surprise other people, but it surprised me. There are so many like boards around campus, whether it's like campus department boards or maybe like faculty boards, and it's written in their constitution that the student body president is to serve as an ex officio member of their board. So of mm. course, like I oversee SGA, and I have, of course, those meetings with higher level administration. And so of course, I feel like people expect that that's what I do, and I speak at events like Torch Night and the like. But I also attend different board meetings, so uh, Chancellor's Associates, Chancellor's Advisory Board, the Alumni Board, like uh, Faculty Senate, like these are actually fully organized bodies that have it written in their constitution or their governing documents that the SGA president is supposed to be a member of this board. And that's something that I guess ended up surprising me because I feel like I heard about it in some of my transitional conversations, but actually being in the moment, I'm in these board meetings. I am a voting board member. And so that's definitely been something that was new for me and of course has been a different experience. I mean, that's surprising to me, too, that they would have that seat for you on so many different mm -hmm. boards around campus. Of course, it's a good thing, because of course that means they want student representation. They want to hear student perspective on things. So it is a good thing. But yes, right. it was definitely something I was surprised about. And I was like, oh, okay, another layer to the job. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Jordan will discuss some more particulars of the inner workings of SGA, what it's like to be a black student on this predominantly white campus, and some of her plans for the future. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, I'm Lily Markham. I'm a junior studying political science, journalism, and philosophy. I'm the opinions editor at The Daily Beacon. I meet with columnists, edit articles, and support the opinion section. I think student media matters because it's a way for students to use their voice and engage with their community. If you want to support what we do, you can give us a follow at UTK Daily Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. If you would like to donate, you can do so through our website or at giving.utk.edu beacon.
overseeing SGA. How many students are in SGA right now? Do you have an idea of? I'm actually not sure specific number just yet because, of course, student services applications are still going mm -hmm. on right now. And so, of course, we have senators, we have the people on the administrative committees, have cabinet, have judicial. I'm still going to say about a couple hundred, yeah, but I still have to see what the final student services number is going to be. I mean, it's a few hundred. As far as student leadership positions go, I don't know of many leadership positions that have to oversee that many students. Right. Or be like the final word. Right. With that many students. Mm -hmm. um, so it is quite the role and of course it also puts you in meetings with these upper level admin as you said mm -hmm. what have those interactions been like that you've gotten to have you get you get this kind of access that a lot of other students don't right to the chancellor mm -hmm. the provost members of the chancellor's cabinet right vice chancellors mm -hmm. what have what's it been like to to have that kind of access to them I would definitely say at the beginning it was very nerve-wracking because mm -hmm. I feel like, of course, like you have this image in your head and like these are giant positions and it's like, oh, I, you know, I'm just a student. Like this is a new area for me I've never been in. Honestly, it, and it was surprising to me is that all of them have been very open just about the sense and just welcoming, just in the sense of, you know, you are the elected student representative and you're in these meetings and that you get invited to these events. And I've had multiple interactions. Chancellor Plowman has said this. Uh, uh, Tyvee Smalls, who's the vice chancellor mm -hmm. of diversity and engagement, vice chancellor Quavis. One thing they've always said is there were like, when we've had meetings and interactions, it's like, okay, we understand that you're in a student and you're in this position. If there comes a, we don't want this to stress you out. If there comes a time where you can't make something or something needs to be adjusted, you just let us know. And the fact of how accommodating they were kind of just spoke volumes to me. Just mm -hmm. in the sense of like, I was expecting, you know, very rigid, very like, you have to be at this, you have to be at this. If you can't make it, oh, sorry, students are going to suffer. But that's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was like, we have to get this done. We have to do all, we have to do it all. But my interactions with them have not been like that at all. Mm. Of course, I may still get a little intimidated, but I'm still working on becoming more comfortable in these spaces. But they've all just been very open in the sense of, if you need help or you need guidance about something, let me know. Because of course, we value you being in this position and we value that you're a student first. So if something isn't going to work out or you need extra support with something, let us know. And then honestly, that honestly has just made my whole experience because mm -hmm. of course I'm like okay I don't have to be so hard on myself if I can't do it all yeah I mean we all are full-time students mm -hmm. and student body president feels like one of these jobs that's basically a full-time job mm -hmm. on top of being a student I mean right. these members of administration don't have to go home and do homework, homework. I mean mm -hmm. they not in the same way. Like, they're not cracking a textbook. Right. And Studying answering. for exams. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, as student leaders, I feel like it's good to have a, a lot of grace mm -hmm. for ourselves as far oh, as, like... yes. And especially post-pandemic, when I do feel like people's energy is still sapped. Yes. Like, we might have, like, quote-unquote, recovered right. from the pandemic. It's not over, but we've made a big recovery, but mm -hmm. that energy is not back Right. And so, and, and I think it's really hard to be a student leader when people don't have that energy. Of course. Um, 
And I mean, I recognize it in ourselves as well. Of course, I know that at the beginning, like, you know, in this weird during slash post pandemic world, like I was like, okay, technically everyone acts like the pandemic is over. So I need to be ready to jump into my job, get it done. Like I can't have any gray moments or like Mm -hmm. moments where I was like, whoa, I need to slow down. That's what I thought at first. But then now I've like realized that even for myself, like, you know, we still went through this major experience that, you know, in past generations hadn't happened. It was Mm -hmm. something that seemed unforeseen never to happen before. And so I feel like that I've also realized that I had to exercise that grace with myself that, yes, I'm still a student. I'm still a student who went through a pandemic as well. And so the way that I lead and the way that I devote myself to the organization, I have to, of course, understand how that works for me as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that that's something that all student leaders need to do Mm -hmm. right now is just like take a step back. If you feel guilt because things aren't going perfectly, mm-hmm. just remember that we were all at the mercy of like a, a pandemic. Yes. Uh, which people are, for, I think, let themselves forget. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of being a full-time student, what classes are you in right now? Give me your favorite class and your least favorite class. You don't have to say the professor. Okay. But you can just say what the best and worst class is. Oh, my favorite class? My favorite class right now, I'm taking... Oh, I have two, actually. I have two. You can tell me all your classes. Okay, if you want to. I'm going to tell you my favorite ones first. My okay. favorite ones would be one, Psychology of Prejudice. I'm going to say their names because they're awesome. Okay. So, first, Psychology of Prejudice with Dr. Michael Olson in the psychology department. Love him. He is hilarious. He makes the class interesting, and the topic area is just so interesting Sa- to Psychology me. of Prejudice, wow. Yes. How big, how many students are in that? It's actually a pretty small class. Maybe we're in a, like a small classroom at HSS, maybe 20 maybe. Okay. And you're a double major in psychology and sociology. Yes, I am. Okay. So you're taking both kinds of classes. Yes, I have psychology and sociology. So psychology of prejudice might be number one. Yes. Number two. Oh, maybe it's not number one. It's like a, these oh. two are fighting for number one. Okay. The other one would be law and society with Dr. Michelle Brown. Also love her as well. We're doing a, we're doing a, we're listening to a podcast right now mm. about essentially a crime that was committed in a small town in Mississippi. And basically this man has been charged for this crime six times. And so we're listening to a podcast that explains it, and we're having, like, weekly discussions where we're watching each episode of the podcast, and we're talking about, you know, what implications and things that we learned and how it connects to how law and society is seen in our country. Mm. Very interesting. She's so very engaging and wants to get to know our thoughts on, like, a personal level. Both of them, I love both of their classes, and I love both of them. Okay, so just run me through the other classes. You don't have okay. to say if it one's your least favorite. We can just, maybe we'll know okay. from the way that you talk about it. <laughs> I'm sure you could probably pick up on it. I'm also taking uh, political sociology. Okay. And then I'm taking political philosophy. Is that 200? It is 200. Who do you have for that? I have, n- I do not know what his name is. It's an asynchronous class. Oh, it's asynchronous. Yes, it's okay. asynchronous. So it explains why I do not know his name. Well, asynchronous classes are so hard. Yes, it's asynchronous and like you can watch like I mean, a video easy, lecture. they're but they're like, they're hard. Yeah. So the, it's like, I haven't seen his face before. I just know his voice and his name is on the syllabus, but I can't remember what it is. 
And then sadly, not sadly, but um, I've been struggling. I'm taking political science 102. <laughs> And there's you're a perfectly saying, logical explanation. You're just saying that it's sad because, like, everyone else are freshmen. Yes. And then it's like, here's our student body president. Yes. Who's also a senior. Yes. I had to pick up. I, didn't, I couldn't graduate early, essentially. Like, based on all my classes and my credits, I was on track to graduate this fall. Mm. Obviously, I cannot do that. Yeah. Like, of course, with SGA, I'm also a Leadership Knoxville Scholar in the Jones Center. That's a mm. two-year program. I have commitments where I can't graduate early. So I had to pick up a minor so that I wouldn't graduate early. Oh, I almost had to do that. Yeah. So, well, you're seeing it right now of someone who has to do it. I had to pick up a political science minor. So, so that it's back to the basics. Yes, it's back to the basics. I took <laughs> political science 101 my freshman year, first semester, mm. and now here I am, back again, senior year after I let go <laughs> of my political science major to now be in political science 102. This is so funny because I was also a political science major freshman year and I let go of it. Mm -hmm. But I took 107. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've heard about 107. I have. Also, a little piece of like... Some people find this funny. The way 107 works is you rewrite the Constitution. Mm -hmm. It's like a constitutional convention. Right. And I took that spring of 2020, so we ended it on Zoom because right. COVID came halfway through the semester. And the way that class works is that you split it, the class into two, and one half works on institutions. So that's like executive, legislative, mm -hmm. judicial. Right. The other half works on the Bill of Rights. Um, and so I was on institutions, which I still think is the better group. And I worked mostly with the executive, so we were like reworking how the presidency works. Mm -hmm. But the way that the class was split, and I guess it's because we like self-selected. Right. Almost everyone in the institutions group was running with the change campaign. Wow. With, with like Carmen's campaign. Right. And almost everyone in the uh, Bill of Rights group was on the Promise campaign. That is an Which interesting was, dynamic. Um, Walker was Walker Hoover. Walker Hoover was mm -hmm. running for president with mm -hmm. that campaign. It was such a weird dynamic because one of the groups seemed more I don't know, there were different kinds of people. Right. That's what I'll say. The people who ran with the change campaign, different kind of people than the people who ran with the promise campaign. Mm -hmm. It got kind of vicious in that class. And we I can were only supposed imagine. to cuz like and the professor who was the head of the, who still is the head of the political science department, he was like, you all aren't on different teams. Like, we're all on the same team here. And I was like, oh, please. You're <laughs> going to take political science majors who are currently running for SGA, put them on two different teams. And by the way, we all had to approve each other's work to ratify the Constitution. Right. It was honestly such a mess and also happening over Zoom. Wow. It was one of those classes, I don't know if you've had one of these, where, like, you're in... Zo you're on Zoom, but you're like texting your friends who are in the class. Yes. <laughs> about things that are happening, happening. in the class. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it got it got pretty bad. It was like a scene from like Julius Caesar. Like, oh wow. It was wow. like Shakespearean. So anyway, I left political science after that. Okay. Um, so student body presidents have gone on. I feel like most of them go to law school. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that fair? Like a lot of them go to law school. Like haven't three of the last four? Is Natalie Campbell in law school? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I know that Morgan is, yes, and I know Morgan that Carmen is. is Carmen's right? not in law school, but I know she wants to go to law school. Oh, I thought she was in she's law school a, I think she's getting her master's at Penn. 
Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Well, okay, so grad school at an Ivy League, going <laughs> to law school. I mean, it's kind of like there's, I feel like there's pressure on the student body president mm -hmm. to like do something after graduation. Right. That's like, like other other students, it's like, oh yeah, I'm just like getting a job, whatever. But it's mm -hmm. like, oh, what's the student body president doing? Have you felt pressure about that? I honestly wouldn't say I felt pressure. Not at least when it comes to my post-grad plans. Of oh, course, no, now it's like now you do because I just said no. that you have all this pressure on you. Of course, like people ask me, but then I feel like I jokingly am like, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, we'll talk about this later. Mm -hmm. But it's like when it comes to like my post-grad plans, of course, I've thought about them. Of course, like I'm going through because, again, still a student. I'm still going through kind of like the application and figuring out what I want to do, like research, uh, how that connects to what I want to do, you know, recommendation letters. Definitely been thinking about it. I wouldn't say there's as much pressure as I would expect it to be. Probably more pressure about people wanting to see if I'm doing my job or not. Mm. That's probably where most of the pressure comes. But I can see how people can have, I guess, big aspirations or like big ideas about what I want to do once I graduate. Yeah. So we'll defer that question to later. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could tell you at least what my thinking is if you want to know. I just wasn't sure. Oh, yeah, sure. Please. Oh, well, as of right now, I do want to go to grad school. I def when, Back when I was a political science major, I was like, yeah, I want to go to law school. I do not want to go to law school. Okay. Yeah, that's not me. So when I switched my major to psychology and sociology, I fell in love. Like, I love it. And so I do think I want to go to grad school and probably get either my master's or my Ph.D. in psychology. Mm. And I want to study the intersection between mental health and psychology and social policy. Kind of how, like, mm. social policy can impact, like, the mental health and, like, the thinking of people from marginalized communities. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like important work to do in a grad school setting. Uh, well, last question. Okay. We're both members of Gen Z, <laughs> the uh, generation that is supposedly all of us are addicted to our phones. Mm -hmm. Do you have moments where you have to put your phone away? Are you like addicted to your phone? What social media are you on? Well, <laughs> this is funny because it's literally I'm the type of person that has to take a break from my phone all the time. It's mm -hmm. funny, even though, you know, like, of course, being SGA president is my job, but I'm sure anybody on the cabinet can tell you, my phone is always on Do Not Disturb. Oh. It always is. <laughs> I'm just, The notifications, I don't like getting them. <laughs> like, I like to check them in my yeah. own time. So my phone is always on Do Not Disturb. So I guess that's one thing. I definitely would not say the person that is addicted to their phone. When it comes to social media, I've kind of been trying to take a step back just because mm. I don't use it. Like, I don't, I'm not on it as much because I feel like I'm just very busy. And, like, it, it might be something to pass the time for a little mm -hmm. while, but I'm not on it as often. When it comes to social media that I guess I'm using more, probably Be Real. I've been using Be oh, Real. Oh, you've gotten into Be Real? Yes. Like, they, I guess we, I guess people were telling me about it last semester. And so I got it last semester. It ended up being a, um, it was a fundraiser for my sorority. So it ended up being a fundraiser to like get all of us to join and get other people to join. And so then, so I was on it last semester. I definitely fell off during the summer because I was like in the weeds planning for SGA. But I like it now, like right now with everything I'm doing with SGA and just being a student is because I feel like 
all of the memories that I didn't get to make during the pandemic, I'm making them now and they're being documented. Right. Because I get this notification every so once in a while, it's like, take a picture of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that I get kind of nostalgic about the times that I could have had when I was a freshman or sophomore, and now that I'm here in my senior year, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start documenting these moments. Yeah. And so I feel like that that's become my social media of choice right now. Yeah, and it takes up all us of your time. Mm -hmm. Well, I, fake out. I said that was the last question. No, I mean, I'm enjoying this. Keep going. You mentioned your sorority. What are mm -hmm. some activities? Student body presence is like a big job, but I'm sure there are, you do other things. Oh, yeah. So tell me a little bit about some of those other things that you do. Of course. Of co so I mentioned my sorority. I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Again, my sorority sisters support system. A couple of them are on my cabinet mm -hmm. were, of course, a support system when I was going through this process. I'm also part of Me For UT, which is Minority Enhancement for the University of Tennessee, and we do minority student recruiting. So we host like overnight trips for like students who, you know, are coming from different parts of the state or even out of state, mm -hmm. you know, students from marginalized communities and students of color and showing them what campus is like, showing them like the different resources for them. Uh, Me For UT was actually how I ended up coming to the university because I went on mm -hmm. one of their trips. So, of course, it came full circle because I joined, and now I'm a member who puts on those trips. And then I'm also a Jones Center ambassador in the Jones Center for Leadership and Service. So when I do have time, I, of course, like lead the days of service and then, of course, like put on different programming for them, love their office. They've been a lot of support, too, always asking me how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like outside of SGA, those are like my three major commitments. Yeah. Well, I feel like people who are like really involved in campus, like they don't, they never do one thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, people advised me to do one thing. Like, you know, of course they're like, oh, well you're gonna be student body president. Like, you know, you might as well drop everything else. You're not gonna have time for it. But I made the choice that I did, that I wanted to stay in these things because they're so important to me. Like my sorority, that's a lifelong commitment. My mother is also a member of that sorority. My, a lot of my closest friends are members. I feel like that I, I couldn't let that go, not even for just a right. semester or two. The Jones Center, love the Jones Center, what they stand for when it comes to service and getting more students engaged in service aligns with what I you know value when it comes to service and like social justice and making students more aware of that. And so couldn't let that go. And mm -hmm. then me for UT, literally the reason why I'm here. Literally right. would not literally would not see myself leaving because I want to be for another student what those me for UT members were for me. So of course right. I could have dropped all of them, but I think that a part of being student body president is still having those connections to different parts of campus. And leadership can be really isolating, mm -hmm. and I didn't want that to be my leadership experience as SGA president. I wanted to keep my connections, and I wanted to use those connections to make SGA better. Mm -hmm. So I was like, nope, not letting it go. We're going to work <laughs> through it. And then, of course, I have my support system along the way. So Kappa Alpha Kappa, or Al Alpha Kappa Alpha, mm -hmm. historically black sorority. Yep. So I... Are they pink and green? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. I thought so. Because um, I feel like there's been a lot of like senators, like mm -hmm. uh, like uh, business leaders mm -hmm. who were AKA. Right. Do you guys call it AKA? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. Um, 
I I've told a few people this. I feel like predominantly white is not mm -hmm. is correct to describe UT, but it's also predominantly not black. Mm -hmm. like the, the black student population is like pretty low. Mm -hmm. Oh, comparatively. you're gonna get me started. I told you I work <laughs> in admissions. <laughs> uh, so, tell me a little bit about that, because mm -hmm. is because, you know, you, the program that connected you with UT was mm -hmm. for students from marginalized communities or students from minority communities. Mm -hmm. um, and the student, the black student population is getting lower as a percentage of the student body. It is. So why is that happening That from what you've seen? I don't even feel like I can really give one answer for why it is happening, but I do think that what needs to be done and what more focus needs to be put on is engaging with these students from marginalized communities from you know just even within the state I when I was talking about my experience with me for UT as an incoming freshman or as a high school senior that was a trip that essentially was so accessible because the bus would essentially come pick you up from Memphis which is five six hours away mm. would drive you through Nashville would stop and get lunch and it would drive you to Knoxville and you had this overnight experience of actually seeing what the campus looked like and hearing what resources were there for you as a student of color. Mm. And when the pandemic happened, those trips, of course, couldn't happen. And I feel like that one thing that essentially made my decision for me was those trips. And I can only imagine the fact that they didn't happen for basically one, one and a half years, that they didn't happen. I can only imagine how many students it would have made a difference for because it made a difference for me. And so I feel like that that is something that definitely could have played a major role in like, of course, what's been put into like students of color and getting them to come here. And right. I feel like there's also just a lack of knowledge. I remember when I was in high school, like of course the school that I graduated from, Central High School in Memphis, is one that they call it a flagship school. It's one mm -hmm. of the schools across the state that you get full tuition Essentially, if you get accepted to UT, you get full tuition to attend. Mm -hmm. There are so many students back then when I was in high school that didn't know that that was an option and they thought college was inaccessible for them, inaccessible. I can only imagine how many students still do not know that now, that they, when financially it could be an obstacle to go to college when you actually literally just from graduating can get your entire tuition paid to yeah. go to the University of Tennessee. So I feel like that it comes to like that accessibility and like that lack of knowledge really you know played a part with the pandemic and then of course you know you see where we are now so i feel like of course the conversations have been had and i've had uh, conversations with tyvi smalls who's the vice chancellor of diversity and engagement and of course they've talked about the fact that himself vice chancellor Quavis, chancellor plowman like they actually make trips to memphis to actually inform students about the opportunity and mm -hmm. talk to like leaders across the city about why students are coming to UT, what are the obstacles, and they're trying to address them. So I do mm -hmm. think that that's a good first step into making it happen, but it's gonna take a lot of that to get to a good place when it comes to getting more students of color on this campus, but also retaining them. Right. Because when it comes to the resources on campus, that's what makes people stay. 
when it comes to you feeling like you have a connection to multicultural student life, or you have a connection to the Pride Center, or you have a connection to SGA, the Jones Center, you know, having that connection, that's what makes mm -hmm. you stay. So if you also don't have that connection, you're not gonna stay. Mm -hmm. So I do think also we've had conversations about the resources on campus for students from marginalized communities and students of color and what can be done to make those, like improve those resources. And that's also been an instrumental conversation because it's not just about recruiting students, it's about retaining them as well. You can't bring them here and be like, oh, well, this is it, mm -hmm. and then you know leave them here. It's about that support from when you walk into UT all the way until you walk out. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that we've had a lot of conversation about that, and of course that's something that I'm passionate about as well. It sounds like you need to get a PhD in higher education. <laughs> And work at Vice, a university. Vice Chancellor Cuevas and uh, and of course Tyvee, because everybody calls him Tyvee. They both are like, oh, have you thought about doing the PhD in higher education? I was like, y'all are gonna have me in school forever. <laughs> PhD psychology, PhD higher education. When can I leave? Are you thinking that you want to take a break after graduating before going to grad school, or is it straight in? I've actually been thinking about it. I don't know. I haven't actually finally decided on it yet. I do think taking a break is very important. You know, just when we talked, like when I mentioned earlier about the fact that leadership can feel so isolating, I mean, that's definitely real. I'm sure you can understand that as well. Other student leaders can. It can feel like that the weight is all on your shoulders. If you don't do something, it's not gonna happen, and a lot of people are gonna suffer from the detriment of that. And I feel like that I kinda wanna give myself that break, to kinda feel like, whew, I can mm -hmm. take a breather, not the whole world is depending on me. And actually like maybe enjoying some of that time with you know, with my friends or like having a time to like travel because I love to travel. I've thought about it. You know, I'm a firm advocate of mental health as a psychology major. So I've definitely thought about it. Now, will it happen? I don't know. I'm also that type of person that's like, well, I'm already in the groove, so let me just keep on going. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much, mm -hmm. so much for, uh, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So great to hear you talk about campus life and where you'd like to see it go and it's sad because you get in these roles and you only have a year right you know? so all this stuff that you build up to sometimes you graduate before you can see all of it through um i do think that's the magic in it though really yeah i do think that's the magic in it though. of course i and i tell this to people all the time i have gotten very comfortable with the things that i work on now i probably won't see them come to fruition but i see all the people who are younger than me like my vice president, Mark Hancock, he's a junior. Mm -hmm. So some of the stuff I work on, you know, his year, like the people in his year, like whoever decides to run, they will be working on that and continuing that. All the students in our first year leadership council mm -hmm. in three, four years, they'll be in these positions. So I think it's kind of the magic in SGA that yeah, you can do everything you want in this one year time frame, but you actually get to see the people in these next couple of years who will benefit from it, but also who will hopefully carry it on. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, that's what leadership is. I mean, it's about the people who came before you, like we talked about Carmen and Natalie and Claire. It's the people who are here now, so the rest of my cabinet, you know, those people who have been there, my support system. And then it's the people who are gonna come after mm -hmm. me. 
So like the people who are in Mark's year, the students who are going to be in the first year leadership council this year, and then the students who will come way back after them. Like that's the whole encompassing magic of leadership. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that I'm excited because I know that somebody somewhere is going to carry on what I do and hopefully it's going to keep continuing and it's going to keep going until I'm not even here anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the magic in it. Well, I think the way you said it's very beautiful. <laughs> I mean, we're all just stewards here, and we all have limited time. Yeah. So thank you for spending some of your limited time <laughs> with me. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to talking again soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. <laughs> Special thanks to the Daily Beacon's digital producer, Kaylee Harris, for all her work on the podcast. Our original music is produced by Sam Liskey. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Beacon Interview.